0: Last spring, you chose hard-working seed, but did it work as hard as you did? At NK Seeds, we know that all the time, all the effort, comes down to this. All that matters now is yield and how the seed perform on your acre. Because you can't fake performance, and bushels don't lie. Local results coming soon. Visit nkseeds.com slash harvest. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome
2: in everybody to another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle on Twenty Four Seven Sports, powered now by Overtime Media. I'm your host Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for Twenty Four Seven Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the Super Bowl comes. It's this is the last time our listener uh, base is going to be able to kind of hear our thoughts and take or our expectations, our pick for the game. Who do you got? I know who you probably want to win. Who do you got winning this game?
1: <laughs> you know me all too well, Chad. I mean, my heart wants the Rams to win, but my brain says Tom Terrific is going to pull it out once again. It's going to be one of those low, you know, in the 20s, I feel like, 28, 21 range. I'm not trying to be like Tony Romo, step on his shoes. Um, but it, Brady is just going to pull it out in the end, and it's going to be another dagger uh, for Broncos country to witness.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be with the majority of the United States and free world and rooting against the Evil Empire and hoping that the Rams can pull off a similar upset as the Eagles did last season. But I just don't see the Patriots losing two Super Bowls in a row. And if you kind of look at the trajectories these two teams are on, the Rams have played pretty consistent football all season. But the Patriots have really begun playing their best football down the stretch and have been unstoppable in the playoffs. So I'm not putting anything aside as can't happen or won't happen, but I just have a hard time seeing Belichick and Brady lose two Super Bowls in a row. I think they repeat the 2001 Super Bowl and beat the Rams.
1: Yeah, to me, I'm kind of obsessed with the fact that they started their dynasty against the Rams, and maybe the Rams can end their dynasty, mm. maybe even start their own with Jared Goff and, and, and Sean McVay. Um, I want it to happen. I just feel like that team is just a, a little too young, a little too inexperienced. A lot of their players haven't been there, except for, you know, CJ and Aqib and Talib over there and Wade, Wade Phillips. Um, I just feel like, you know, TB12 is going to pull it out once again.
2: But here's the thing. If you're looking for the silver lining, it was Wade Phillips who twice in 2015 laid the smackdown on Brady and the Patriots, and especially in that AFC Championship game, Brady was knocked down and beat down more times than he ever had. 19 times I think he was hit and sacked. Uh, Of course, not all those were sacks, but that includes hits. I mean, he was brutalized that game. Obviously, it's not apples to apples in terms of Comparing the personnel that Wade Phillips has now to the twenty fifteen Broncos defense, which is among the all-time Super Bowl defenses and and especially of, of modern NFL history. I mean, you got the twenty fifteen Broncos, you got the twenty thirteen Seahawks, you got the two thousand two and the Ravens in two thousand. So those are I mean, the Rams, as good as they are defensively, they have some talent there. Aaron Donald's a stud. You got old man Talib still kicking. I just don't think they're on the same par, so I'll be really interested to see how Phillips does. But again, he's one of the best at just knowing what play to call in the right situation, living by his intuition, living by his gut to find a way to stymie the opposing offense.
1: If there's anyone who can stop Brady, it's Wade Phillips. But to me, Dante Fowler is a far cry from Von Miller, mm. and you know Tom Brady is a far cry from Cam Newton. You know, so <laughs> it's gonna, it's uh, it's it's gonna be a challenge for Wade. I, he is up to the task, obviously one of the best minds in NFL history, and he will slow him down. But will he stop him? And will he hold down the Patriots? I'm just, I'm not sure. I just still think back to the mic up that came out of the AFC Championship
2: game in 2015, and. You you know, Brady's just getting knocked all over the place, and every time the defense would leave the field and return to the sideline and Phillips was on the sideline, and they'd be talking about, we're getting him, coach, we're in his head. (laughs) And Phillips would be like, he don't like it, he don't like it. (laughs) I just think of that, man, son of bum is a freaking all-timer, and I loved how he showed up at the Super Bowl dressed like his old man bum. I miss that man. He's sorely, sorely missed in, in Denver and in Denver media. But for those of you who are pining for old Wade Phillips, one thing that might help salve your soul a little bit is go out. You can probably find it on the cheap on Amazon and buy his book, Son of Bum, which I bought when it first came out a couple years back. Phenomenal read. It's an easy read. It's a quick read. And it gives you the inside scoop to not only his earlier career in Denver as a defensive coordinator and then head coach. But then his second stint coming back, you get the inside view of that world championship whirlwind in 2015. So check that out. But we uh, we got some business to attend to quick, and then we're going to dive into some off-season tropes, some talking points we got to get to. Uh, but first, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Crucial if you want stay, to stay engaged on what's happening with the show in terms of planning content mailbag, all that stuff. you got to follow the show on Twitter at huddle up Pod. Also, take some time if you haven't done it. I say this each and every episode, wherever you're listening to the show, but especially if you listen on iTunes, you got to leave a creative review, rate the show, help us vault up the rankings. We're confident we are the number one Broncos podcast uh, in terms of iTunes rankings, but you can help make that a no-doubt type of situation by continuing to not only listen and subscribe – but rate the show, leave a creative review if you've never done it. So take some time and get that done. All right, so today, Zach and I wanted to touch uh, touch on some topics that came out of an article that I kind of uh, ginned up earlier this week on Wednesday. I published an article entitled, 10 Mistakes That the Broncos Cannot Afford to Repeat in 2019. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through these. I'm going to dissect them along with Zach I want to see if we're sharing a brain on this. And it's okay. Let me just get this out of the way. As we go through these, Zach, if you see uh, one of these that I have deemed a mistake and that the Broncos should do a 180 on this particular topic, I want you to make no bones about it. Let's talk about it. Let's dissect it because I'm one of those guys as an analyst that – I remain open to all possibilities. I remain constantly open to the possibility that I could be wrong on any given subject. I like learning. I like hearing other people's perspectives. Um, I don't always agree. I'm not always going to change my mind willy-nilly, but I want to hear if you disagree with me on any of these topics, and I'm sure our listeners would want to as well. Now, here's one that got a little bit of pushback, oddly enough, uh, on social media Number one for me, the mistake that the Broncos cannot afford to repeat in 2019 as it, you know, again, this is all about going into the offseason. You're in building mode, right? You're rebuilding the roster in some sense. You're formulating your plan and how you're going to compete in 2019 and beyond. So these are crucial questions. So number one, don't go all in on Case Keenum. And basically the case I'm making here is that this time last year, the Case Keenum signing seemed like a relatively safe bet, even though they gave him $36 million over two years, $25 million guaranteed. It felt like a relatively safe bet because they still had a unproven, untested first-round pick two years removed on the roster in Paxton Lynch, and then there was also the possibility that they might use that number five overall pick on what was shaping up to be an historical quarterback class in the draft. So in that sense or in that scope, Keenum would have been a great guy to bring in as a stopgap, keep everything moving on the offense, keep your, your, you know, your offense on point, so to speak, with a veteran, but also a great mentor, as we saw with the work he did with Jared Goff in 2016. So as it relates to my first mistake the Broncos can't repeat in 2019, don't go all in in Case Keenum, meaning you need to upgrade the position at all costs in 2019. Your thoughts?
1: If by all-in you mean just roll with him and don't draft or acquire anyone else, then right. I agree with you. Yeah, they, they cannot do that. They have to at least have a young quarterback on the roster um, by the time the season starts. I would keep Keenum around as a stopgap, a Band-Aid for one more year, just a hold to Ford, a veteran mentor, anything. I would not throw a young rookie like Drew Locke in the fire right away, but I would also not hitch my wagon to Keenum suddenly blossoming into this franchise quarterback. So, yeah, they cannot go all-in. They have to have a young guy on the roster this year
2: and by virtue of that contract they gave Keenan last year, you know, they might not have a lot of choice in terms of moving on from him, but that doesn't preclude them from upgrading the position especially as it relates to the NFL draft. So that kind of ties into the second one here, Zach, is the mistake the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. They can't pass on a quarterback high in this draft. Now, as it stands today, I view the decision to draft Bradley Chubb with pick number 5 instead of Josh Rosen, Josh or Josh Allen as a mistake. Now, if the Broncos end up getting their guy in this draft, hey, I'll change my tune because they were able to have their cake and eat it too. They they got Bradley Chubb and then they got their franchise guy one year later. I can live with that. I'll applaud that. I'll clap my hands. But I still at this point view it as a mistake that they did not pick up one of those signal callers last year and I don't want to see him do it again this year, especially being that they're pick 10 and within striking distance of yet again one of the
1: top signal callers in the class. I agree with you only if they fall in love with a guy and they're absolutely sure they can trust their scouting, they can trust their personnel department, and they know whoever they're going to draft is that franchise guy. I would not want the Broncos to draft a guy just for the sake of drafting him. So if they feel like in the first round, number 10 or whatever, if they trade up, at Drew Locke and be their guy, then yeah, they shouldn't pass on them. But I would not just take a quarterback this year because they need one. If they feel uh, the 2020 or 2021 classes have a better quarterback, then I'd be okay with them waiting. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And even if, you know what,
2: I I could not be completely disappointed if, <clears throat> you know, events conspire to where they're not able to get Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins or even the kid Kyler Murray. They don't get one of those three, but somewhere, you know, rounds two through four, they get a, a guy, whether it's Daniel Jones or maybe, maybe, I know Eric Trickle's going to swallow his freaking frog right now but maybe even Will Greer a little bit farther down in the draft. If they got someone that had at least some semblance of franchise upside and knowing that you're tied to Keenum in 2019 regardless and you live to find another day in 2020, it wouldn't be ideal to me, but I could at least live with it.
1: Right. I mean, it, there's different ways of going about it. But I, like I said, I just I don't want them to, f- to draft a quarterback for the sake of drafting one and Elway just to swing for the fences, you know, blind. He needs to do it calculated like he found his head coach, and that is intense scouting and due diligence and finding the guy that you think can fit your team. He got it right with Vic, Vic Fangio, and he kind of ex- it shed that demon of hiring a bad head coach. Now he has to shed that demon of finding a franchise quarterback. If he thinks Locke is that guy, then I, I agree with you.
2: Now here's the third one. Tied also to the quarterback position, the third mistake that the Broncos have made in the past that they can't afford to repeat in 2019, do not overpay another free agent quarterback. Now, you know, it might sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth here, because on one hand, I'm saying that when the Broncos signed Case Keenum, it wasn't the worst deal in the world. Because of the way things were shaping up, they had Paxton Lynch that they hadn't yet cut bait with. He'd only started four games as a Broncos. A first round pick. There's still a lot of unknown quantity there. And they held the fifth pick in the draft. But looking at it now in retrospect, through the lens of history, it looks like a bad deal, right? Because now Case Keenum came in and played about as mediocre to sub-mediocre as you could expect from a six-year veteran, and they're still on the hook for another seven million this year which as i wrote in the piece it's 7 million's not quite enough to you know completely eliminate the possibility of cutting Keenum, but it's enough to give the team pause in terms of being able to just outright cut him you know it limits their op- their options so within that scope you look at the at the franchise or uh, the free agent quarterback market you got names like Nick Foles who i understand how that's exciting to fans and, and i could even psych myself up to a Nick Foles you got Joe Flacco you got Ryan Tannehill but to me, all those guys are basically the same thing as, as Case Keenum. Now, two of them have a Super Bowl ring to boast, and that's a far cry from anything Keenum's achieved as a quarterback. But in terms of the level of quarterback they are, the caliber of quarterback, you know, they're basically all kind of either high-tier-two guys to, to tier-three guys and Keenum being a tier-three guy. They're all within that kind of zone right there, which to me just bolsters the whole idea that there is no such thing as a free agent franchise quarterback. So don't swallow the bait. Don't fall for the trap. Don't go down that road again. Look to the draft to solve your quarterback
1: issues both short and long term. Peyton Manning was the only exception for the Broncos. Yeah, that's, that's what proves pr- the rule. That's what that's proves pretty, the rule. That's pretty much it. Other than that, though, I 100,000% agree with you. Uh, not only that, I would take it a step further. Stay away from every single veteran quarterback in the cycle this offseason. Go get your young guy in the draft. If you don't think that young guy is there, then wait for the next year or the year after that. Don't overpay. No more band aids. No more veteran stopgaps. It's time for youth. It's time to build the right way. Now we shift gears a little bit.
2: 10 mistakes the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. Number four, what I have down, don't overspend on defense. Now,
1: And what do you think? I think it's time to tell people to choose wisely. Choose Wendy's new sweet and crispy homestyle French toast sticks. That's still not an answer. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast
0: hours.
2: I kind of, there's a little bit of a caveat on this one, and I wrote in the piece, it's kind of tricky, because the Broncos do have some cap space, they do have some dollars to spend in 2019, and there's no question, you know, there are certain positions that make perfect sense for the Broncos to upgrade on this particular free agent market in particular. So, I get that it's like Landon Collins you take, for example. He's a guy who you know, I could see the Broncos falling in love with if the Giants don't end up keeping him, going out and spending some serious coin to get him, or even our boy C.J. Mosley, who we talked about yesterday. I would understand that, but I don't want the Broncos to overpay for anybody because at this point, every move that John Elway makes has to be the right one. And I just think at this point, the Broncos, there are ways and means, because of Vic Fangio the Broncos finally have a free agent recruiting tool, especially as it relates to defensive players. So leverage that. Utilize that. Find guys who have either played for him in the past, like the Chicago guys or people from San Francisco even, and other studs. I mean, you saw the way that Von Miller was just wrapped at attention, seemed almost starstruck after the fact when he was meeting with Vic Fangio face-to-face, shaking hands, exchanging pleasantries. Like, people respect Vic Fangio, and there are going to be free agents out there, Zach, who I think the Broncos can get at really good value because they want to come in and play for Fangio and and get some of that, that sizzle on their star.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with 90% of what you're saying. The fact that Broncos have a, a capable, competent coaching staff now, they, they'll be able to do more with less. They'll be able to get more out of more and really squeeze more uh, from, the, from the proverbial lemon. So yeah, I would not overspend, but the other 10% where I disagree is that by virtue of the free agent market, they're going to have to kind of open their checkbooks just a little bit. I mean, players are getting paid a ton of money nowadays. They're going to have to target um, the secondary the defensive line, inside linebacker. If they want to fill those needs in free, agency they're going to have to spend a little bit but i'm with you i would not overspend i would rather get a mid-tier guy who fangio can feel comfortable coaching up and developing than blowing a, a ton of money on a high-tier guy who's going to be impossible to work with so i agree with what you're saying um just be smart but be diligent be aggressive but don't be over aggressive uh open your checkbook a little bit just don't go crazy all right that makes a lot of sense. And for
2: what it's worth, of the 10 mistakes I don't want the Broncos to repeat as I was fleshing this out on Wednesday, this is the one that, to me, has some wiggle room because I can see an argument to be made to go out and spend some some coin a la the 2014 Broncos free agent class that brought in Aqib Tlaib, T.J. Ward, and Demarcus Ware on talents of Landon Collins' caliber and, and C.J. Mosley. So I, I can see how that could have a franchise – not necessarily a franchise-changing effect, because without the quarterback, again, it's only going to get you so far. But I could see how an argument can be made. So one more, and then we're going to take a really quick break. Here's a number five mistake the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. But it is a crucial one. And I, this is one I'll, I'll absolutely stick to my guns on. Do not target malcontent types. And in the piece, basically what I'm getting at here is the Broncos, and at the time it looked like a solid decision, like... You know, the Washington Redskins had an untapped former second-round talent, Safety and Sua Cravens, who had retired, then come back, and they questioned where his heart was at. Meanwhile, you had a team like the Broncos just pounding on the door, interested in this kid, who they were wanting to take in the draft when he came out, I think it was 2016. And so the stars kind of aligned perfectly for this to be a win-win for both sides. But then Cravens arrived, and we started learning more about this kind of diva mentality that he had kind of an immaturity and not character concerns in the sense of off the field trouble where he's getting arrested or cold clocking women like our boy in Kansas City earlier this season uh Kareem Hunt but rather just character concerns in terms of you know not contributing to the team from a from a buying in perspective uh just kind of that diva mentality now I think it cost the Broncos a little bit set them back because you could tell when he finally got healthy and he was in all the meetings and he's on the practice field, week nine, they put him in against the Texans. Two games, three games go by, and all of a sudden he disappears from the from the starting, not just the starting lineup, but the defense altogether. And what happened was the coaches started getting pieces of the puzzle on this guy. He wasn't paying attention in, in the meetings. He wasn't contributing. And so guys like Will Parks were completely bought in and given it their all from week one and even before that, they're taking precedence. Those are the guys the coaches want on the field. And Shane Ray's another guy that I throw out as an example. And lastly, what I say here, basically, Zach, is that I would, as talented as Cravens is, and there's no doubt he's a, a guy that has talent, and there's guys like this out there now that Broncos could be targeting, as much as he, uh, that talent exists, I'd sacrifice a little of a player's talent like Cravens for the type of heart,
1: the type of football mind, the type of motor of a guy like Isaac Yadam. Yeah, you know, to me, it, it depends on the type of malcontent you're talking about. Like, I don't want Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown, but I wouldn't mind Landon Collins. So it just depends on the player. Um, but for the most part, with the culture change and the new locker room, and and Elway really shedding those divisive personalities and a keep to leave in T.J. Ward the past couple years, yeah, I agree with the premise of what you're saying that yeah, the the locker room needs to be solidified. They need team first guys, captains, uh, no me first, no diva in the locker room. So yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that.
2: And it also applies to the draft because. Is, you know you look at like Carlos Henderson as an example, you know, he wasn't necessarily known as a as a high character risk in the pre-draft process, but the Broncos swung and missed, got it completely wrong. Whoever mm-hmm. put the scouting report together on Carlos Henderson completely <laughs> missed out on all the character issues and, and football IQ issues and the prioritization of football and where that stood in his life. They they totally got that wrong. But they rectified that. You could tell they turned the ship around last year and the quality of players they targeted in in the draft. And so I'm hoping that was kind of a paradigm shift that transfers forward, not just in the draft, but free agent targets, possible trade targets, et cetera
1: yeah that's a great point that you make. they They went primarily a majority of their draft class last year were team captains. I mean, uh, Josie Jewell being the um the spotlight guy among them, the guy who represents and is the epitome of a leader of a team. So yeah, Elway, um, like I mentioned, the culture change in that locker room. He really does not like a lot of me first guys, divisive personalities, outgoing personalities. He wants to be that main voice surrounding the Broncos. and Hill has no problem. He has no problem moving on from anyone who kind of you know challenges that. So, I don't want a malcontent. I don't want any disturbances in the locker room. I want year one to be a smooth transition for Vic Fangio.
2: Okay, now we got five more to go, plus a really interesting question from the mailbag that we're going to answer at the end of this episode. But really quick, we're just going to take a break.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: All right, so number six mistake the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. We're going to mow through these because we're getting a little bit long here, though, is... The Broncos can't cut the coaches out of the draft process. Now, I stipulate in the in the written piece that John Elway, at different times in his front office career, has leaned heavily on the advice of coaches as it relates to the draft. And a good example of that was Bill Kolar literally pounding the table for Adam Gotsis in round two, uh, which was a reach. They could have got Adam Gotsis later in the draft they didn't have to spend a second-round pick on Adam Gautas, even though he's turned out to be a, a good player for the Broncos. Another example is Gary Kubiak, who fell in love with Trevor Simeon. The Broncos drafted in the seventh round as kind of a flyer to placate Kubiak in 2015. And then they, there's the extreme opposite, you know, uh, where the, the coaching staff had seemingly very little input on the players selected, especially in 2017, Vance Joseph's first year, which was almost a catastrophically woeful just replete with bust draft class for the Broncos, with maybe the exception of Garrett Bowles. They kind of brought, you know, weaved Joseph back into the the pre-draft process, gave him a little bit more of a say in 2018. He did have much more of a role in terms of that paradigm shift we talked about before the break, targeting seniors, targeting team captains, targeting high character, players where football is high priority in their lives. Vance Joseph had a lot more to do with that from everything I've been told than Gary Kubiak, because let's face it, it's not like Kubiak came out of left field all this. It wasn't Kubiak wasn't the new ingredient to that process, Zach. Kubiak right. was a part of the 2015 draft with Elway. He was part of the 2016 draft with Elway. Vance Joseph was the new ingredient in terms of catalyzing that paradigm shift, not Gary Kubiak. So Elway listened to his coach and it paid dividends. And so what I'm saying here is the Broncos can't make that mistake of the past, ignoring their first time head coach, thinking, you know what, you're new to the job. Let me kind of handle this. We'll get you on the other. No, they need to graft Vic Fangio in. They need to graft in Rick, uh, Rich skingarello especially, too, as it relates to the quarterback this time around.
1: I don't think there's anyone who wants Elway to be the sole voice when drafting a quarterback or analyzing a quarterback or evaluating one. He needs everyone around him. Every coach on that staff from Fangio to Scangarello to Chris Cooper, the assistant offensive line coach, everyone should have input. Everyone should have voice and it should be a collective decision. That's what made him uh, so successful in the coaching searches that he took input from everyone around him. He's starting to see that he doesn't have all the answers that he needs outside opinion. We'll know how much influence and how much, uh, of the 2018 draft can be attributed to Gary Kubiak, though, like you said, Joseph and Elway and Matt Russell, they were all voices in that room. But yeah, they cannot cut anyone out, especially the young offensive coach that they brought in for that reason. They hired Scangarello to develop a young quarterback, and to not have him in the room when they want to draft, let's say Drew Lock, would be just uh, criminally negligent.
2: Okay, here is number seven mistake the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. You can't reach on players in rounds one through three. Now, I'm going to keep this brief before I serve this over to you. Bottom line is this. Rounds one through three, you have to hit because these are the players who are first round are supposed to be Pro Bowl players, 10-year starter caliber players. And rounds two and three have to be immediate contributors slash starting caliber players. And, you know, you throw out 2018 as possibly an outlier, we don't know exactly if that's gonna if L was gonna repeat history. If that really was a paradigm shift, we'll know after the 2019 draft. If you look at the previous three drafts, too many misses, Zach, in rounds one, two, and three, and too many reaches in particular. I mentioned Adam Gotsis, Demarcus Walker is another player who you and I both see potential in, but he's mm-hmm. a player that was fairly a reach in round two in 2017 that the team could have got later in the draft. So rounds one through three. Let's hope they continue in the same vein as last year and get players, draft players in those spots that are good value at that point in the draft
1: if they shore up their roster holes in free agency then they should be able they don't have to reach in the first three rounds they can just sit back and take the best player available which yep. is the best place to be in and that's what they did last year and, and some of it is luck I mean Cortland Sutton falling to number 40 uh, Bradley Chubb falling to 5 those were lucky moves but they stuck to their guns they didn't panic they didn't shred up or down and that's how I think that is the best way to navigate the draft set yourself up to go BPA and take the best blue chip prospect available to you so uh, 100% agree with that There's just at number 10 you're going to get a good player anyway don't reach don't sell the farm just stay put and trust your research and trust your evaluations
2: the only place i'll disagree with you on that is if your quarterback your heart is set on the quarterback and you know you're not going to get him at 10 i'm warming up to the idea of doing what it's going to take to move up and again we bring up san francisco as a prime possible candidate now move on to number seven here excuse me number eight which is zach don't undercut your coaches now here's just a little quick backstory and i'll serve this over to you you look at it, everyone knows that, especially during the Vance Joseph era, the buck did not stop. If you're a player in that locker room, the buck didn't stop with Vance Joseph. It stopped with John Elway. You yep. look at Gary Kubiak, you look at John Fox, both of those coaches, their players knew that was their boss. Like their, the fate of their football career or their standing with the team, I mean, it really came down to what their head coach wanted. And if their head coach didn't want him to play or their head coach wanted him gone, I mean, that, that was the, that was the top of the food chain, so to speak. Okay, and even look at Gary Kubiak. His final year in Denver in 2016, John Elway went in, tried to strong arm Kubiak into playing Paxton Lynch with the season gone. The Broncos had been knocked out of the playoffs. They head into week 17 at home against the Raiders without Derek Carr, just got injured. Raiders are bound for the playoffs no matter what. Elway wants Paxton Lynch to play. And Gary Kubiak stands up at the podium and even tells the media, Yeah, you know, I'm going to start Trevor but Paxton's going to play. It's going to, you know, half for each guy type thing. Come game time, Broncos are putting a beat down on the Raiders. They're up 20-some-odd points in the third quarter. Kubiak sticks to his guns because that power dynamic wasn't the way it was with Vance Joseph. And the players saw that. They recognized that. Vance Joseph's power or his standing within the locker room I mean, he was almost like a football eunuch as it relates to the type of power that Kubiak and, and Fox had. And so with Fangio, what I'm saying here, Zach, is don't undercut your coaches in the same way you did with Vance Joseph. I hope that's something that Elway learned from the Vance Joseph era, that regime, is that, you know what, you got to stand behind your coaches, you got to back off, you got to let them do their thing, so that their posture within the locker room is the way it needs to be as, as a head coach.
1: You nailed it, Chad. Football, eunuch is the best way. That even I can put it. Um, you know, I'll be blunt in the fact that I don't think Elway respected Vance Joseph as a professional. I don't think you know he was a yes man. He was a puppet. Fangio, though, and Elway see eye to eye. They have a mutual understanding. So this time around, and like considering like I touched on before, Elway realizing that he made a mistake and realizing his flaws and his imperfections, I don't think he's going to do that this time. I think he's going to really seek genuine advice and 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 genuine respect from Fangio and I think it to be a mutual, successful marriage. So undercutting, I don't think we'll worry about this time around. If there's anything that Elway learned, it's that having a coach just entitled that you can run the team through, it's not the way to go about business.
2: Okay, here's number nine. Don't ignore player strengths. As a mistake, you can't ignore the strengths of your players. Now, I'm just going to use a really obvious example, and then I'll serve this over to you because we're, we're running long. Last year, I mean, Case Keenum, even going into 2018, his previous two seasons as a quarterback in the NFL was among the top five-rated quarterbacks in play action. And how often did we see Bill Musgrave utilizing and leaning on that talent to not only maximize the individual player's skill set but to elevate his offense? No, he was in shotgun. The Broncos were running out of eleven personnel teams, even despite the fact that they had one of the most electric running backs in the league and were leading the amongst the NFL leaders in rushing. Teams knew that. You know, there was no play fakes there. They were not. They weren't leveraging Case Keenum's skill set. And I, I'm confident. I listed this as a mistake they can't repeat. But I'm confident that with Vic Fangio, with Scangarello, with Ed Donatel, this isn't something we're going to have to worry about. I think when they stand at the podium and they talk about catering to the individual strengths of their players, this is a staff that actually means it and is going to be given the rope to execute it.
1: God, I hate when coaches uh, you know, tailor the, the player to this game, not the scheme to the player. And that's exactly what Musgrave did last year. Yep. With the play action, not maximizing Keenum as a pocket passer or at least a, a bootleg passer. The three wide receiver, empty backfield, the, the fourth down, the, the short yardage calls. Even on defense, the Broncos coaches, you know, playing Von Miller and Bradley Chubb in coverage, playing zone when they should have played men in the secondary. Coaching really can make or break a team. And I harp on it a lot. And the one thing the Broncos did, which you nailed this chat, is they ignored their players' strengths, and they didn't maximize that. And that's what you saw was a 6-10 and 10 record. I don't think we'll have a problem with that this time around. And for the same reasons that we just talked about, Elway knows his clock is running, his clock is ticking. He knows this team has to be turned around, and he cannot hire coaches that won't get the most out of their players. This is a talented roster. This is not a roster that should have won six games last year. They should have won more. Coaching was the difference. So if they just can put that ingredient to the recipe, they will have a much better outcome.
2: It's like Larry Fitzgerald told, I think it was Chris Harris Jr. after that week seven beatdown, y'all are better than your record. 100%. So, I agree. Now, last one, then we're going to get to a very unique mailbag question. Number 10 mistake the Broncos can't afford to repeat in 2019. And this is one I kind of caveat to that, uh, you know, traditionally, Elway's done a pretty dang good job of of holding on to homegrown foundational roster pieces, but the Broncos can't let foundational pieces walk. And the reason this is crucial this time is because you could argue that the Broncos have two hitting free agency this year. Number one, no no doubt, in Matt Paradis, you can even throw Hireman in as a as a homegrown guy, a third-round pick or a high-round investment as a homegrown guy that I don't want him to let walk unless, you know, his asking price. He goes out on the market and Hireman finds some team willing to pay him $10 million a year or something. Okay, let him walk type deal. But Paradis in particular, Zach, is a guy that the Broncos, I really think they are going to make a mistake. It's like you said, you got to give the man his due, take care of him. He's been an iron man for you. But it also sends a message to your locker room, Zach, that look, you come in, you buy in, you put in the hard work, you be a professional, you show up, and we're going to take care of you. I mean, it's going to take care of itself. You put in the work, you do what you're supposed to do, you become a foundational piece, it's going to pay off. And young players see that in the locker room, young draft picks, rookies, et cetera. It's a motivator for the young players on the roster.
1: It's a great point, and the Broncos have done it in the past. They've rewarded Emmanuel Sanders, Brandon McManus, Brandon Marshall. I mean, they've extended goodwill to players who performed at a a lesser level than Paradis. Reward the guy. I mean, the only thing they can worry about is is, is injuries, but he played through double hip surgery, didn't miss a snap. I mean, the guy is an Ironman. You don't see it anymore. One of the best centers in the NFL, a potential pro bowler under Mike Munchak. It should be a no-brainer. Give the guy a contract. He won't break the bank. Setters don't in the NFL. He'll get a nice chunk of change. And like you said, it sends a good message. You work hard. You accomplish something. You'll be rewarded. That's how we take care of you. Um, They have other pieces in, in, in going to hit the open market. Dometa their their run stuff for the nose tackle. Shelby Harris, defensive end. They have to secure the pieces they should and and let the pieces walk like Bradley Roby that they should let walk Shane Ray but to me it's more than just keeping a roster together to me it's a lot of goodwill and for the the thing you said it sends the right message and with all these negative storylines around the Broncos with their ownership and their naming rights and their coaching staff they need some positive publicity and rewarding one of the best players in the game to me is a good way to go about it.
2: Absolutely. So those are the 10 mistakes you guys the Broncos can't afford to repeat in this 2019 offseason. I'm hoping they, they take heed. There's only a couple of points of, of uh, disagreement between Zach and I on this. So from like a 98 percentile, we're sharing a brain. So let's hope the Broncos have the sense about them. Yeah, I would say so uh, as they enter the offseason. Now, before we get out of here... One interesting question I received on Twitter today, and I'm interested to hear your answer to this. I'll answer after you, but your your situation is a little bit more unique, I think, than a lot of people who cover the team, including Denver-born people who are working at the Denver Post or 9 News. Your situation is a little bit different. This comes from a VIP subscriber, Paul80026, but it actually came on Twitter. His question was that, you know, hey, I just started listening to the Nick and Carl's podcast, and on this last episode they asked uh, Joe Goodberry, I think it was, how he became a Cincinnati Bengals fan living in Buffalo. His question, Paul, is I'd love a podcast on how you guys became Broncos fans if you ever have time. Now, again, you guys are going to find out here, Zach's – kind of trajectory to Denver is a little bit more unique than a lot of guys. So why don't you tell the fans how you ended up covering this team?
1: Yeah, this is going to surprise some people, and I'm sure I'll get roasted on Twitter, but I didn't grow up a Broncos fan. I actually grew up a pretty, pretty major diehard Jets fan, and actually my first major football memory is the 98 AFC title game when the Broncos were up. Uh, the Jets were up 10-0 on the Broncos at halftime. I thought that the Jets were going to win, and uh, uh, the Broncos rallied to win that game. So uh, yeah, I grew up a Jets fan. My, my family is from the New York area, and I was just, uh, I love the team. But you know, when you cover a team, though, you don't really root for them in the sense, but you have have a, a little bit of a preferential treatment toward them. You know, you kind of treat them with a kinder eye. And I feel like I've been established a little bit around the the, the past and the, and the glory and the legacy of the Broncos. And obviously the, the the recent seasons, I mean, I've been on the beat for going on four seasons. I covered three head coaches already. So it's, it's interesting yeah. to be around this organization. But, yeah, I didn't grow up a Broncos fan, but, you know, I've always, always kept my eye on them for sure.
2: Yeah. And no matter where you come from on the fan spectrum, when you become – uh, a journalist you you end up having and forming soft spots and allegiances and for the team that you cover. I mean, you exactly. just start rooting for them because I mean, you, so much of your efforts and energies and thoughts are consumed on this team that you just start forming allegiances and and preferences for that team. So you know, it wouldn't surprise me if twenty five, thirty, forty years from now, whatever it might be, you're retired, you're doing your thing. you're still <laughs> pulling for the Broncos wherever they might be on their on their trip now, for me, it's a little bit more kind of traditional for people covering the Broncos in the digital space, and even those who are covering it in TV and in local Denver print and everything. I grew up a Broncos fan. I was conditioned. I was brainwashed by my father to be a Broncos fan. And, you know, my earliest memory, in fact, Zach and I were kind of talking about this yesterday, but uh, my earliest memory as a Broncos fan was the '86. Uh, AFC Championship game, I believe it was, in which the Broncos, that was the drive for John Elway. If I'm getting the year wrong, forgive me. I'm pretty sure it was 86, but all I can tell you is that AFC Championship game in Cleveland's house in which John Elway executed the now famous drive. That was my first memory as a Broncos fan, as someone who was born in the barely the last, the the waning days of of the 70s, literally, Uh, growing up as a child in the 80s, I came to know the Broncos when John Elway was just starting to turn the corner. That's when, you know, the scales fall off your eyes as a kid. You're paying attention to what's happening on TV. Your father's been watching all the time, but now you're starting to pay attention. That's where it happened for me. So I've been a fan of the team for many years, going dating back to the 80s. But what it's kind of funny because when I started out as as a guy covering this team, my I can even go back and read some of the stuff I wrote, Zach, and The fan in me was much more evident and colored my analysis so much more. But as time went on, I actually felt myself detaching from the destinies of the team. Instead of getting amped up and feeling my anxiety and adrenaline rolling in a team, and are the Broncos going to win? Are they got to beat this team? (laughs) I mean, I'm still hoping the Broncos pull it out. Don't get me wrong. But suddenly I feel a little bit more detached from what's going to happen because I'm more focused on the workload that's going to come out of the game, whether they win or lose, I'm more focused on what are the talking right. points I want to I want to bring to the subscribers. What I want to talk on the podcast, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I still root for the team. Uh, I'm still a fan of the team. I still love the Denver Broncos. Uh, you should see my house. You should see my uh, the Mile High Huddle cockpit in which right now we're recording this podcast. It's all Denver Broncos, but that's how I came to be a fan, and uh, it really, it's what led me to cover the Broncos. I mean, it was my passion for the Broncos. Here's an interesting story real quick. It, listeners might be interested to hear this. The way I got into this game as far as even covering the Broncos is that way back in the day, there was a website called It's All Over Fat Man. Now, many of you know who Doc Bear is, who writes for, for milehighhuddle.com, Well, com. I recruit. I'm an acolyte of Doc Bears. I'm a protege of Doc Bears, even though he writes for me now. He had a website called It's All Over Fat Man, which were a bunch of former, you know, expats of Mile High Report who didn't jive with whatever their site politics were at Mile High Report back in the day. This is 10 years ago or so. And so they started their, They left and started their own thing called "It's All Over Fat Man," and that website was all. Of, it was covering the Broncos, but it was deep dive. You know how we talk about at milehighhuddle This is where you come for the deep dive analysis on your team. That's where I developed the appetite and the passion for deep dive analysis that I have today. Is from reading uh, and engaging in "It's All Over Fat Man's" content, which was again the brainchild of, of Doc Bear, and then. I was an active commenter, and one thing led to another. That's how I ended up becoming a a blogger, just doing it for fun, doing it for the passion. One thing led to another, and I started getting recruited by online sports media companies that wanted me to write for them, and, and that basically, Cliff Notes version, brings us to where we're at today. But that's why I owe a lot to Doc Bear, who inspired me, who motivated me, who all these things, and that's why for me, Zach, it's a huge coup, it's a huge honor to have Doc Bear even at this point where he's more of kind of emeritus status with mile high huddle to have him be part of the team is, is still a great honor. And uh, I love and respect that man. Like no other, you should see my football collection of books. Most of them bequeathed to me by doc bear. He's
1: a stud. You know what I've learned in this business, Chad. And, you know I'm still young and I have a long way to go, but uh, it's a small world. You know it's it's kind of amazing how everyone ends up together and, and knows each other or is is aware of people's work or ends up on the same path. It's funny how fate brought us together on this on this beat. You know, covering yep. the same team when our paths could have been farther apart. So it's, it's sure. been pretty incredible. Separated by thousands of miles, but uh, dedicated. Brought together on by one football.
2: That's right. There you go. <laughs> but uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Check for tomorrow's episode of Building the Broncos. They'll be back covering draft-oriented stuff. So you know, stay tuned for that. You can find Zach on Twitter at Kelberman 247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're following the podcast account at Huddle Up Pod on Twitter as well to stay engaged, get in on the mailbag questions, etc. And as always, make sure you're subscribing and do not forget to leave a creative review and rate the show. Zach and I will be back in the saddle for, with a fresh episode for you on Monday. So we'll see what happens with the Super Bowl, Zach. But in the meantime, we can just kick back and, and be spectators and root for the evil empire to fall once more.
1: Even though I don't think it happens, yeah, we're going to have our, our figurative L.A. Rams hats on and hope McVay yep. can come through with that offense and Wade Phillips can get another ring. I want it for CJ. I want it for some of those Broncos players. I'm a little biased in that sense, but yep. I, I don't want to see another Patriots title. I mean, how anticlimactic would that be?
2: Here, here. But that's going to do it, you guys. We'll see you on the other side of this weekend. Stay tuned for Nick and Carl. For Zach, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon.
0: You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.